Vegas's Big Podcast. It's Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters. David Hooper with you. Bigpodcast.com is the website. This episode, it's an interview. Jay Klaus is who I'm interviewing. He has a podcast called Creative Elements. He's also somebody who's built a very large online presence. And if you're in the creator space, the entrepreneur space, he's one of those guys that he seems to be everywhere. Jay's podcast was recently added to the HubSpot Podcast Network. And if this is something that you're wondering about, how do I get to be part of a network? We're going to dive deep into that. Jay's in Columbus, Ohio, but me, I stayed right here in Nashville through the magic of online interviewing. You can do the same thing with Riverside. They are the leading platform to record studio quality remote podcast and video. You're going to hear how this thing sounds. Remote podcasting, it sounds great. Sounds like you're in the next room and Riverside will let you do that. 70,000 people and companies use it. People like Guy Raz, Gary Vee, Spotify uses it. The New York Times uses it. And when you use it, I'm going to give you a free trial here to check it out. All you're going to do is send somebody a web link. They click on it. It opens up in the Chrome browser. Boom. In the studio. It's just like you're next door. Riverside's going to let you edit it, make social media clips, whatever you want. Riverside can handle it. Again, I got a trial for you. It is free. You can check it out. Get under the hood. See if you like it. I think you will. Go to riverside.fm. Two hours free. It's enough to get an interview or two. And if you like it, I've got a discount code for you. That'll get you 15% off. That discount code, Big Podcast. B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. The URL, riverside.fm. The code to get 15% off. Big Podcast. B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Let's talk about Jay Klaus. The podcast, Creative Elements. CreativeElements.fm is the URL for more information on that. Of course, I'll have the links to everything that we talk about in the episode notes. That's podcast.bigpodcast.com. Jay's one of these guys. He's built a large online presence. In fact, I don't even know how I found out about him. One day I didn't know about him. The next day I knew about him. He's in the creator entrepreneur space. He's one of those guys that seems like he is everywhere, but that's just a facade. One day somebody's not there and the next day they are. No, that's not how it happens. We've got a saying in the entertainment business, and this definitely applies here. Every overnight sensation takes seven years. Jay Klaus, not an overnight sensation, but definitely somebody who's been exposed to a lot of new people in the last year. And part of that has to do with his deal, getting creative elements on as part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. That got him exposed into an entirely new audience. We're talking about setting the foundation, setting the foundation with your podcast so a network or other partners will want to get involved with what you are doing. Specifically, I wanted to know three things. I wanted to know how the deal happened, what he had to have in place to get HubSpot's attention. I wanted to know why he did the deal. What did he think would happen if he signed it? What did he think would happen if he didn't go for it? Also, what he was hoping would happen and what's happening, how it actually worked out. Those three things. This episode, part one, we're talking about Jay's podcasting foundation because Creative Elements was not the first podcast that Jay launched. Also, his foundation, the skills that he brought to the table even before he picked up a podcast mic. I've got that coming up. If you don't want to miss the additional parts of this, do make sure you subscribe. Go to bigpodcast.com slash subscribe while you are listening. Sign up right now. It is free. We're going to go deeper and deeper into these topics. But for now, part one, here's my conversation with Jay Klaus of Creative Elements about building a big podcast. Talk about how you jumped into podcasting because what you built is quite amazing, but it sounds like it didn't start out as your plan to do what you've done. 
our first show that is on an indefinite hiatus. It's called Upside. It was a podcast covering startup companies that were not based in Silicon Valley. And I started that with a co-host and partner. His name was Eric. We were both really interested in angel investing. And then we realized that we had no money and raising money would be difficult. So we thought, well, what if we just like pretend to be angel investors by hosting a podcast and interviewing founders that we would want to invest in? And then we can like learn the ropes of how to interview founders, how to think about deals. If and when we would decide to make an investment, how would we do that? It was a weekly show. And for a while, we were doing twice weekly. We had something like 200 episodes. Really like the audio medium, really like podcasting generally. But my business got to be more specific in the realm of creators and the creator economy. That show in like a startup venture world just felt like a departure from that. So I wanted to continue the audio side of my life, but I wanted it to be more aligned with the actual business I was building day to day. So I started thinking about how I would construct a show to fit that world. Started recording the show in November of 2019, and we launched in March of 2020. Wow. Okay. So you're doing a lot of planning. Uh, Before we get into that, let me ask you this. Talk about pulling the plug on the first podcast, because what I have found is that it's like a relationship, right? It's uh, too good to leave, too bad to stay, that kind of thing. I mean, it's not always clear. It sounds clear in hindsight, but talk about the process of that, because obviously you're a very thoughtful person if you're going to plan these podcasts out like you have. Yeah, and it's complicated because, you know, that's that's a whole other business in LLC that it's a partnership and there were some like real bright spots in that. And it felt like it could actually be a really big swing because if you build a media company that has influence and reach and you have the ability to talk to really early stage founders, we saw a future where you could have a really interesting business building a lot of early stage deal flow all over the country. Oh, yeah. It was hard, but when Creative Elements launched, it wasn't long after the show launched that it was having a lot more success in terms of listenership than Upside was. And why do you think that is? Part of the reason was because I partnered early with a podcast network called The Podglomerate. Part of the reason why it launched in March of 2020, even though I was recording in November of 2019, is they wanted to be thoughtful about the launch and how to get some initial ears on it. They helped a lot uh, with the early days of the show and, you know, the entire time I worked at The Podglomerate planning or is that just getting the word out? Because it's one thing for them to be able to get the word out, but you know this, a a product that's not good where you get the word out just fails quicker. It was both. I went to Jeff, who's the CEO of the Podglomerate in October, November of 2019. And I said, hey, I'd met him like maybe a year earlier and we had a conversation and I brought upside to him. And this point to me was, it would be a lot easier for us to say yes to working with you if we worked with you before the launch of the show, because then we can have some influence over the success because launch is very marketable. A show that's two years old, there's not a whole lot we can do other than like paid acquisition, a lot of marketing work that may not be worth it for us. So if you ever have another show idea, come talk to me. I went to Jeff when I was thinking about this show and I had the wherewithal to do an interview I had some custom music made. I had the artwork made. So I went to him with like a full prototype of what I thought the show could be. And he was basically like, okay, I like this. We'll work with you. The show's not great. (laughs) And I have some notes. So he gave me some notes and, you know, it was like an iterative process of making the show better and better until literally like the first episode was finished in production the week of launching it. We were tweaking it for to the last minute 
forever. Yeah. All right. So, so I want to know what those notes were because you've obviously had a couple of hundred episodes of the previous podcast under your belt. You knew something about podcasting as far as getting podcasts out. And you had this idea for a new podcast. What was it that he did not like about it that he wanted to tweak? And what was it that he liked about it as well? There were a couple things. One, it was an interview show. And he's like, this is okay. But like, what makes your interview show better than the kajillion interview shows that are out there? Right. There's a show here, but it's not like a standout show. And then the other point was, I had this thought that the format of the show would almost resemble WTF with Mark Marin, where like the first 10 to 15 minutes would be an incoherent ramble about me and what I'm thinking. <laughs> and he was like, no one knows who you are. You can't do that yet. You should work on scripting the intro. And you might even want to introduce some voiceover throughout it so that there are some real touches of production. So he was fine with you doing a personal intro. It just, he didn't think that you were able to vamp it like Mark Marin would. Yeah, he was like, just make it tighter make it more about the guest than about what's going on in your world. Right. <laughs> Big lesson there. One show that he really pointed to as a good example of production that he thought was like not all the way down the road of like NPR style might be plausible for a, a, a very small team or just me as an individual. It was uh, Without Fail by Gimlet, which I think is a great show. I don't think it survived into a second season. Yeah. But really, really enjoyed it. And the reason why was because it had this periodic voiceover throughout it that moved the story forward. In the early days when the show wasn't as good, I wasn't as good of an interviewer. That helped actually cover for a lot of my bad questions. Right. I could just cut them out and then like reframe it and and move the thing along faster. So it turned out to be a really, really great note. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's definitely an NPR technique is that sometimes you're just collecting tape. I know people that do eight hours of tape and they'll chop it down to 15 minutes or four minutes even. You don't know where the story's going to go. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. It's a lot easier to know where the story's going to go. And I do think that interview format podcasts are in some ways easier to jump into, but it's interesting what he's trying to do. It sounds like is differentiate it. And that's going to be a little bit more work to do it in that way. As far as you doing the, uh, I called it a hybrid. When I reached out to you at first, I said, man, you got an interesting format. It's what I would call a hybrid. Yeah where you are asking questions interview style, but you're also coming in and I guess we'll call it narration. It's uh, yeah. you're definitely guiding the thread from the beginning to the end to make it a more linear podcast. And to be honest, I used to do a lot more of it. Like now I have the intro, the outro, that's easy to script in and do. I used to do uh, a lot more throughout the episode, but now we've kind of just circled on the format where I basically have narration heading into the first mid-roll and out of the first mid-roll and then into the second mid-roll and out of the second mid-roll. But as a consequence, because you hear those four bits of me narrating throughout the episode, even though it's just into and out of mid-roll ads, it feels like there's a lot more narration happening. Let's compare it maybe to just a standard interview format podcast. Let's talk about production and your own motivation for it, because it is a, a lot more work than just going on a Mark Maron rant. And, and the reason Mark can do that is because he's been on stage for 30, 40 years and he, he can get up and riff. <laughs> he knows how to organize it in his head as he's talking. Most of us don't do that. Yeah. And for you or I, we would have to plan it out a little more. And especially what you're doing, though, you've got an interview and you've got a, I guess they're giving you whatever tape there is to work with, but you're having to put a story together after the fact, even even though if you have an idea going in. So it, it seems like it's a lot of work and I would think it would scare people. So I'm curious, once you're in there, has it been as exciting to continue to do it as it was for that initial episode? It can be intimidating. It's certainly gotten easier. 
because for a while, and, and the show's evolved now that it's gone from audio only to being a video show as well. I basically found this kind of formula in the audio show where I would take three 10 to 15 second clips from the interview itself, bring them into the intro as basically like a really tight three act structure in the intro. So that like as a listener in the intro of the episode, before I even get into the interview, you basically hear these clips that give you the roadmap of the story arc you're about to hear. Okay. So it's easy for me to kind of understand. And I don't know, it feels like a puzzle. I'm sure you've experienced this. Like as I was listening through the edit, it became obvious to me when I heard a piece of tape, like, oh, that's an intro clip. Right. You just feel it click into place. Well, a lot of times people stop with that, though. We call it a hero clip where there's one quote and you're doing something on the next level of that. It's like you're actually having a story arc. Sounds like three of these you're putting together at the very first of this. So I think that's an interesting thing. Yeah, because there's two mid-rolls. So you have like act one, mid-roll, act two, mid-roll, act three, and then you have an outro. Okay. Um, that's changed a little bit now with the video show because now we have to plan it as a YouTube first asset that also works well in audio. We actually tightened up the intro quite a bit. It used to be three to five minutes for an intro before I get into the interview. Now it's more like two max. Right. Which means that the clips are shorter. My interjections between the guest clips are shorter. So it moves a lot faster and there's sound design in it. But in theory and all, it's, it's fairly consistent, just shorter. I'm curious about your background. I know that you, as you mentioned, the angel investing and kind of the VC world, startup world. A lot of those guys are giving pitches all the time. And I feel that if you're used to giving a really tight, concise presentation, like Mark Marin, for example, three minutes on the stage, right? That's going to help with your podcasting. I'm curious what you brought from that world that has helped you with podcasting or the other worlds that you've been in. Because you've obviously got a great skill set for speaking and organizing. So like, how'd that happen? There's probably something there. There were years in my life where I was facilitating and organizing these 72-hour events called Startup Weekend, where the point was people come in and they would put together a startup idea and kind of validate it and make an MVP over the weekend. And at the end of the weekend, they would pitch that to a panel of judges. So I would spend Sundays on those events talking with like 20 teams, helping coach them on their pitch, which literally had to be like three minutes long. So I got really good at identifying a hook and then the data that backs up the hook to make that a compelling story and then right. an ask. I think a lot of that is latent. And similarly, like doing those events, I was on stage constantly trying to keep the attention of 100 plus people who could just spin out at any point. At any minute, so, yeah, they're going to let you know, right? We don't have that in podcasting. <laughs> yeah. There, there was like some public speaking practice there. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's all played a role, but I've never really articulated or, or thought about how that plays into the podcasting world. You got a journalism background too. Yeah, sort of. Like I had, I had like half of a journalism degree and I, I did a bunch of internships and, and like just hustling for publications. But I switched halfway through college because what I realized was at the time, I was really into sports journalism. And at Ohio State, I was able to cover the Ohio State football program, which is sure. like just incredible. But I looked around the room and I realized, oh, when I graduate, like I'll never do this again. I'll have to like <laughs> work somewhere for 30 years and hope that right. somebody gets sick for me to go cover one game. You're on high school sports, man. Yeah. So I was like, I don't think this is going to get me to where I want to go. And at the same time, I discovered uh, startups and stuff. So I started going down that path too. But man, I have written a bunch of stories. 
let's talk about the print journalism, I guess you were doing, right? Is it, was it web or yeah. was it actually on paper? It was paper. It was, I mean, we were starting to do web, like at the time it was really big, like, oh yeah, you've actually got to do like multimedia now, but it wasn't like shooting with your phone. Uh, it was like video for the purpose of embedding into a story on the web. So it was mostly, um, web, but, uh, written newspapers as well. I'm wondering for the written newspaper, when they were to give you, I'm going to call it a, a brief or something like, Hey, you've got to get this story. You've got 500 words. Do they give you a limit on like, cause in radio we have that you've got four minutes, you've got to get it in. It can't be 401. It can't be 402. It's got to be four minutes. And you have something similar. I would imagine with print journalism. Yeah, I remember getting a goal of 500 words or a thousand words, but that was always like an overshot because they knew they would actually have to cut that down to fit it in in layout. But they knew if I got that much, then it would be all right. So it was typically 500 to a thousand words, depending on where the story was going to live. I don't remember it ever being explicitly shorter than that, but, um, you know, they taught us the inverted pyramid style of writing and they, they knew that if they needed to cut it down, they could. Did you have to edit any time with your half of journalism degree? I applied for an editing position at the school newspaper a couple of times and never ended up getting it because upperclassmen just beat me out for it. Right. So I never had to do editing of anyone else's writing. Talk about self-editing because you're doing that with your podcast and that's where I'm going with this. How do you know what to cut and what to leave in? Because obviously with podcasting, we could go on for four hours, six hours, 10 hours, but people probably aren't going to go along with us. How do you decide what's important to leave in to your podcast and what is not? It's tough. I've definitely gotten better at it. I try to be more objective and more honest. The easy stuff is if it's duplicative. Like if I've already talked about it, then not necessary. If it's kind of a back and forth of me trying to like gather some facts, like sometimes someone on the show will talk about some part of their story and I'll say, in what year was that? And they'll say 2016. And sometimes I'll cut that out because I'll make sure that's known in voiceover or something. That's easy. Right. But I try to keep the episodes under an hour as a published final product. And that's actually harder than it sounds because with the amount of ad inventory we have in the show, we'll end up with like 10 minutes of ads total throughout an episode. So I really have to keep the show in total less than 50 minutes, including intro and outro and the voiceover in the middle. So I, I am trying to cut things down and I'll, I'll ask myself when I find a piece that seems not that helpful one, did this make me bored? Am I not actually engaged with it? And two, if I cut it out, will I reflect on this in a month and say, I shouldn't have cut that piece out of that interview? And if the answer is no, which usually it is, then just cut it out. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned your ad inventory because I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> Stop it right there, right when we're getting into the money. That's going to be coming up on part three. First of all, there's going to be part two I'm coming back with some additional commentary on the topics that Jay and I just talked about, the foundation of a successful podcast, how to do it right, going to partners with your ideas, exactly what you need to do to make that happen, getting feedback on your podcast. Sometimes it's good, sometimes not so good. Can you trust all feedback? I'll be talking more about that. Getting the attention of networks, building momentum. That's exactly what Jay did, how he got this deal. We're going to go into that a little bit more on the next episode with him, talking about how he got this deal because he got a better deal than most because he was already set up to have a better deal than most. He's not just anybody, not a beginning podcaster. And that's what I want to help you do through this podcast, build a big podcast. Also setting up systems for your podcast. You can imagine with Jay, he's everywhere or seemingly everywhere. How do you set up systems so your podcast works for you? You are not working for your podcast. 
That's coming up next on the next episodes of Build a Big Podcast. If you want to make sure that you don't miss those, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. You'll see three buttons there, one for iPhone, one for Android, one with an RSS feed. I've also got a QR code that you can scan. It takes Build a Big Podcast onto your phone. It makes it easy for you to take me to the gym, take me in the car, wherever you go. Listen on the go. I'm the background music to your life. Bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening. More from me with Jake Klaus talking about growing a big podcast through podcast networks. I will see you on the next episode of Build a Big Podcast.